little, little survey. Start with a little survey. How many of you just love, you love it? It's one of my favorite things. When somebody calls you to give you bad news. Anybody, anybody love that? Nobody? Somebody calls, hey, your kid's flunking algebra. Uh, need to have a parent-teacher conference. Yes, yes, I'm so pumped to hear that. Uh, sorry, I uh, just backed into your car at the grocery store. I'm real sorry about that, right? Bad news. Uh, several years ago, I had um, one of the local news station apps on my phone. I, I think it was WECT. It doesn't matter, though, because I think they would all be the same. Uh, and it was very useful. Uh, like, I could check the weather. That's good. Maybe see about some current events and things like that. But it had a really bad downfall. And that said, all day long, it would send me notifications. And every time I looked at my phone to see the notifications, you know what was in there? Bad news. It was just bad news. It got to the point, I was like, I just, I just call it the bad news app. I deleted it. I was just so discouraged. Every time I was like, oh, great, something else happened. I deleted that. That was several years ago. Well, this week on Monday, I was like, I wonder, you know, if things have changed. So <laughs> I got on the Googles, and I just, I literally, you can try this. I Googled local news. All right. I regret to inform you, things have not changed. Uh, News is still up to bad news. Uh, Let me just give you a couple of the highlights from last week. Uh, It's going to be the harbinger of good news here this morning. Suspect charged with murder in early morning Sunday shooting. Did you hear about that? Bad news. No good. Brunswick County Sheriff's Office searching for a missing person. It's horrible. I don't know the outcome of that yet myself. Maybe you do. Owner of shrimp boat stuck on beach talks about rescue efforts. That might sound like a... an episode of um, a funny TV show. It's not. It's the aftermath of the hurricanes down in Florida recently. Uh, this one really got me. Crazy one. You heard about this? You know Texas Pete Hot Sauce is being sued right now? Yeah, they're being sued. They're being sued because Texas Pete is made in North Carolina. That's why they're being sued. This is serious. I did not, not read the articles. Uh, I did not read any of the articles. But I was like, I got to know why is someone suing Texas Pete? This is, this is a quote from this article. A man bought a bottle of Texas Pete original hot sauce for $3.00 before discovering that it is actually made in North Carolina and not Texas. He said if he knew the sauce was made in Winston-Salem before purchasing it, he would not have spent the $3. This is real life, okay? So I had to end on something like, seriously, someone's suing Texas Pete Rice now because they're not made in Texas. So then I had to stop. I'm like, I don't care anymore. Uh, I got a zinger for the sermon, and uh, I don't want to cry. So, man... Bad news, and obviously that's not what anybody wants to hear is bad news. Bad news causes pain. Bad news, bad news reminds us of hurt. Bad news points out the brokenness in the world, and we don't like it. But unfortunately, because of the world we live in, like because of media and the speed at which news travels, when you watch the news, I mean, it's probably always been this way. There's always been bad storms. There's always been wars. There's always been crime. But we hear all of it at the same time now. My wife and I were watching the news the other night, which we never do. We don't do that. We just don't. But football, football and news come on the same channel, so sometimes it accidentally happens. And uh, we were just watching, and it was like the, the poor newscaster. I mean, God bless her, because she's just doing her job. She just went from bad news to bad news to bad news, catastrophe, catastrophe, catastrophe. And then Lindsay goes, Whew, like, don't we get to take a breath since the last bad news before we hear a new bad news? But if you're on social media... I think it maybe has gotten better because they've like cracked down on things. <laughs> but like a lot of times you'll be scrolling and depending on what your feed looks like, it's just like bad news, bad news, bad news. And sometimes I think if you're normal, if you're healthy, if you're psychologically well, you've got to have moments where you're like, is there anything we can do about this? Like, can we do something about this? Can we make some good news happen? The whole reason I'm here this morning <laughs> is because I believe the answer is Yes. 
I believe there is good news. I believe, in fact, there's something better than good news. Uh, it's something to get us through bad news. There's hope. The message of the church, the message of God through Jesus Christ, the message of the, the whole Bible is that there's hope. There is a God who loves you, and he can stretch you over the bad news. He can get you to something better. So I start with all of that because last week we started a new teaching series called Above and Beyond. And so you can hardly miss it, this certain series that we're in, Above and Beyond. We got balloons, we got banners. Some of you have t-shirts. If, by the way, if you haven't picked up your t-shirt, you can go grab one, but we have them for sale here as well. Just a new church t-shirt. But the idea of Above and Beyond actually is in coupling with the fact that we as a church family are getting to do something that we've never been able to do before. We own our own building. And so all summer long, we've been renovating this space. Just up the road, 76 Darlington Avenue. If you haven't gone to that space, go drive by there. Sit in the parking lot. Look at the space. Uh, it's not going to be long before we get to move into that place. But for nine years, we've been mobile. And I think uh, there's this mentality shift that's going to have to happen in us to say like, okay, things are different. We can't just keep the same thing the same way all the time. We're going to have to remind ourselves that there's a mission for us as a people, as a family. And how can we use this space? Last week, we said... Uh, the, the kingdom of God is above and beyond a place. Okay, yes, we're moving to a place. Um, but how can we use this place for kingdom efforts? This week what I want to do as we talk about above and beyond is to say, you know what? People are full of, of pain and hurt and brokenness. And I think that most of us in this room believe that there is a God who can take us above and beyond the pain. But what that takes is an intentionality on our part to uh, internalize that, and then to embody that to the world that we encounter. And so as we move into this new space, what does it mean for us to be a people just absolutely determined to help people bring hope in their pain and to show them the message of God through Jesus? And so that's why the subtitle of this series is that we want to move forward with purpose and in faith. It's not just going to be another move. Hey, we're just going to go try something different now. No. Now, this needs to be very intentional. And the whole idea comes from uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21 is where we get the above and beyond concept. This is the apostle Paul talking, and he's, he's just talking about the kingdom and the things that are happening there in the, the city of Ephesus. And he's given some, some instruction there. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, it says, Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. So Paul's there. That's the above and beyond concept. Our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. So what is it that you hope for in this world? What is it that you pray about? I am limited. You are limited. But the creator of the universe is unlimited. And now, this is who we pray to. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to his power that has worked within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So that's kind of an anchor passage for this above and beyond concept. And so we're just going to do this for a few more weeks here. But even as we move into the new space, these above and beyond banners aren't going away for a little while. We need to remind ourselves this is the God we serve. This is the message that we offer. This is the hope that is found in Jesus. Last week we stepped into that passage and we talked about him being above and beyond a place. Today, let's talk about what it means for God to be above and beyond the pain. We love to look to the Bible for God's most important truth. And so if you've got a Bible today, crack it open. We're going to be in a couple of places. At first we're going to be in the book of Luke. 
uh, chapter 7. Luke is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. And so we're just going to hear some of his teaching there. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, feel free to look it up on your phone. It'll be on the screen behind me. But we also have free Bibles uh, on the shelf there by the door. That if you need one for the service, go grab it, look at it during the service, and you can put it back when you leave. Or if you want to keep it, it's yours. That's why we buy them. We buy them to give them away. Put your name in the front cover. It's yours. Uh, but in Luke chapter 7, we encounter uh, Jesus in a place where he's about to walk into someone's pain. Actually, a very normal situation for this group of people. And I want to look at how he responds to that pain and see what we can learn about it uh, for our own pain and also as we embody hope to the world. So this is Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead, per- a dead person was being carried out. Okay, so we've walked in on a funeral. This is just the image that you're seeing. A dead pe- person is being carried out of the city. Only the son, uh, sorry, the only son of his mother, she was a widow. This is a second big peg to say, okay, this is a bad situation. Not only is this young man dead, but now this woman finds herself uh, a widow and her only son has died. And a large crowd from town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. It's a strange response for someone to have at a funeral, isn't it? I've been at a lot of funerals and honestly, one of the greatest pieces of advice I could give you if you have to counsel someone through grief. Uh, I mean, there's, I mean, I'm not a professional counselor, but I've had a lot, I've heard a lot of good conversations and read a lot of things. And this is a really good thing to tell people. It's okay to cry. (laughs) It's okay to mourn. Jesus walks up this lady and says, don't cry. What is he up to? Now we're in this place called Nain. He's on his way. He finds a funeral procession, procession, and we don't know much about the circumstance. We don't know how old this guy was. We know that the lady's a widow, but we don't know how long she's been a widow. Like, did her husband recently die? Has it been a very long time? Uh, We don't know anything about the other onlookers. What we do know, almost certainly, though, is that her son has died very recently. Maybe within the last 24 hours, there's some tradition where they would, uh, they would allow a body to sit for up to three days. They had a whole a superstition about that. But not very long, okay? And the process of embalming is not something that they're going to do in this culture. And so you pretty much want to manage the, the death as soon as possible and have a funeral, have a burial. So it's very fresh on this lady's heart. And if you've ever seen a mother in grief, you can maybe imagine that she's just numb. She may still be in shock. And she's wondering, what am I going to even do? I I pointed it out briefly, but she's also a widow. This is a a male-centric society, uh, ancient times, 2,000 years ago. And so in this society, if you're a woman without a husband and without an adult son, there's a very good chance that you you can't make a living. Not a lot of people hiring single uh, women, except for things that they don't want to do. And so not only is she facing this grief of her son passing away, but she's also looking at this circumstance of like, what what do I do now? Like, what's next? How do I take care of myself? And as Jesus takes in this situation, the first thing I want you to notice is what Jesus felt. Uh, I am by nature a fixer. If you know me, if you know my house, if you know, if I've ever been with you and you're like, my car is making a funny noise, you know that immediately I'm going to start diagnosing the problem and see, can we fix it for less than $10? Like, can we figure this out? So that's me. Maybe that's you. You're like, how can I get my hands on this and work on it? Uh, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, capable of fixing, repairing anything, I want you to know it's not what he did to fix it. 
but what he felt first. That was his first response. And the phrase that we see in our, our translation we just read is that, that Jesus saw her and his, ha- his heart went out to her. Now that might seem like kind of a, a mundane sentence. His heart went out to you. My heart goes out to you. It might seem like a Hallmark card you bought for somebody and then you didn't think about it anymore. My heart goes out to you. But it's so much more than that. And the Greek word that's used there that, that is translated his heart went out to her is also sometimes translated compassion. But the Greek word is the way we would pronounce it is splagna. And we've talked about splagna a couple of times before, but I think it's been a couple of years. And so I think this is a fun word to say. Can you join me in being a Greek professor? And let's all say splagna. Let's go. Splagna. And when you say it that way, it actually helps you remember what it means. The word splagna is actually more of a uh, biology word. It means like your innards, your guts, your insides. This is, medicine is not super developed at this time, but they kind of understood there were insides and there were outsides, okay? And so you're like, this is my splagna. It's in here, okay? And so what it says is, Jesus saw her and he kind of made it into a verb, so I won't go into all that, but it said, and he splagnaed. That's what it actually says. Why? Well, because in this culture, what they would say is they would say, listen, they, they believe that the guts, the splagna, was the seat of emotion. We do it too. We say, I'm heartbroken. Actually, the translators did this for us. They say, his heart went out to her. Your emotions don't happen in your hearts, guys. No, they don't. They happen in emojis. That's, that's where emotions happen, okay? They happen on Netflix. Not in your heart. Your heart pumps blood, right? No, your emotions happen. Something else happens in your brain. I don't, I'm not a brain doctor. I don't know. But it doesn't really happen in our heart, but we say it, right? I'm in love. My heart, you know, probably because your heart rate goes up. I don't know. But in this culture, it would have been my guts. So when Jesus sees her, he says, oh, my guts are knots. You follow that? You've been there. I'm just sick about this. Because there is like a, isn't there a biological response to our emotions? You feel sick and your heart rate goes up. And Jesus sees her and his heart goes out to her. He has compassion on her. Compassion is a pretty cool word too. I've talked about this before too, but I want to make sure you don't miss this. The word compassion comes from some Latin words, com, passion, and com means with. If you know Spanish, you might know con. It means with. So it's the same cognate of the same word, com. With. Passion actually literally back in the early days in Latin meant suffering. So when you compassion, that means you're with suffering. If you have compassion on someone, you're actually empathizing with their pain. You are joining them in their suffering. Isn't that interesting? So to truly have compassion doesn't mean that you just noticed and you threw $5 in a bucket because some guy was playing guitar on a corner. No, compassion goes, oh, my guts are in knots over this. My heart is broken. I truly care. And Jesus sees this funeral procession and he's blagna. His guts are in knots. His heart is broken. That's what Jesus felt. And I want you to know that that's what Jesus feels when he knows that we're broken. When he knows that we're hurting. And sometimes the church has been guilty of being very cold emotionally. Uh, A lot of religion, honestly, shifts and it depends on where your brain goes. But a lot of people would rather be analytical and academic. And I've been guilty of this. I'm like, prove it to me. Show me this. Show me that. But our God understands. He, he made us in his image, okay? So we shouldn't be surprised when our God feels things the way that we feel them. And I don't be overly mushy on this, but I will say it's okay to feel your feelings. And that's what Jesus does first. He's heartbroken. He has compassion on her. Now, what's interesting to me is that this is a fairly ordinary moment that Jesus walks up on. It would be very strange for us if we walked and someone was carrying a dead body down Market Street. We'd be like, someone should call the police because 
something's happening that should not have happened. But this is the, it was culturally how you did a funeral. It would be similar to us if you've ever been on the road and you see like a, a funeral procession with, you know, a hearse and a limousine. Like this is how we do it. That's how they did it. This is a very ordinary thing. And maybe you've been in that moment where the, the, the procession drives by and you do the respectful thing. You maybe turn your lights on. Maybe you pull off to the side of the road. You pay your respects. They would have done that too. But then what do you do? Oh, you keep going to Walmart. That's what you do. You can carry on with your day. But Jesus, he does something in the very ordinary. He sees the very ordinary, but he does something extraordinary. And this is what I want us to see today. In verse uh, 14, we already looked at what he felt, but now I want you to see what he does. Because he does step in and do something. Verse 14. It says, then he went up and he touched the buyer they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. <laughs> Imagine you're carrying a casket, you're a, you know, pallbearer, and you're just like, some guy walks up and just puts his hand on the casket. You're like, uh, excuse me, (laughs) who are you? What are you doing? Okay, put yourself in their shoes for a second, and this is what Jesus says. Young man, I say to you, get up. Now, the translators don't do us any favors uh, theatrically here because then it goes directly into another sentence and you can see it on the screen behind me. But I got to imagine there was at least a beat where everybody's like, what'd he say? But then in verse 15 it says, the dead man sat up and began to talk. There are many stories in the Bible where Jesus brings someone back from the dead. And I don't want us to ever look at any of those and think, well, of course he did. Because that's crazy. Have you ever been to a funeral? No one expects. If Aunt Linda sits up, you are freaking out. <laughs> right? And Jesus walks into these people in their pain and he does something unthinkable. And what's wild is, I love this next sentence. It says, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. We'll get back to that sentence in a second. Verse 16. It says, they were all filled with awe and praise God. Of course they were. They say a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help these, his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. It says he walked up and he touched the funeral bile. I think that we're, under, we're to understand that Jesus didn't just touch the piece of wood he was on. That's probably what that means, kind of some sort of a pallet thing he was being carried on. But instead, touches the body itself. And I want to tell you, he does something extraordinary, something out of the ordinary, something actually pretty taboo. And forgive me for talking about death. I talked about bad news, news starting out. Sometimes that's how life goes, but that's where we are today. And so he walks in. He does something very unconventional. There, there's a big taboo surrounding uh, death in Jewish culture in the first century. And it had a lot of reasons. But one of them was if you came encounter with a, a dead thing, you would become ceremonially unclean. You weren't allowed to go to temple worship. You weren't allowed to do certain other things. And you had to go through this process. There was a waiting period. There was like this cleansing you had to do, these prayers you said. Uh, You can read about it in the book of Leviticus. It's still in your Bible today. Um, But this is what they had to do. And so typically people were very cautious around these funerals and they did certain things. And this complete stranger walks up and does something unthinkable. He doesn't just put his hand on the mother's shoulder and say, you're in my prayers. He touches the young man. And in doing so, he says, I care more about you and your brokenness, then I care about cultural conventions. I'm willing to step over this line for you. Jesus walks up and he goes to the woman and the crowd must have gasped. What is he doing? But they were the only one gasping. The young man (gasps) takes his first breath. I I loved going into these moments in these people's heads. So imagine you're the guy 
okay? And like things have gone dark for you. Last time you remembered, you know, you weren't feeling good. I don't know why I passed away, but then you just, you're hearing people crying. You're like, am I floating? What's, <laughs> am I bouncing? You start to flutter your eyes a little bit, and suddenly you're like, <gasps> and you just sit up. And he began to talk, which I think is really cool. That's his very first thing that he does. And as he gasps, and he receives life back, Jesus does a very important thing. He gives the boy to his mother. And so I don't want us to miss this. Not only does he give the, the young man life, he also gives the woman hope. Remember her condition. She's a widow. Her only son has died. She's not only heartbroken, but she has no prospects for the future. And in that one moment, Jesus restores it all. That's what he does. So we notice what he felt. We notice what he did. That's the story. And I love sometimes in these very short stories about Jesus' life how much you can pull out of them if you just take the time to read them sentence by sentence and put yourself in the people's shoes. It's a practice you can do. Uh, if you struggle with family Bible studies or your own Bible study, just like ask yourself, who's in this story? What would it be like for me to be in this story? And play it out. The reality is, guys, that the world is full of bad news. The world is, the world is full of funerals we don't want. The world is full of uh, heartbreak. The world is full of not being sure what our prospects for the future are. The world is full of that, and that's a result of sin in this world. I mean, I've sinned, you've sinned, other people have sinned, and the culmination of sin in this world is that it's a broken world. But what do we do in that pain? What do we do in that hurting? What do we do in that brokenness? Maybe you've thought, well, God could care less, because I've prayed about this, and it hasn't changed. God hasn't stepped into my hurting one bit. You know, that happens. It happens when we feel that loneliness, that loneliness, when we feel that disconnect from God. Um, and I've been there. And I want you to know that that's a very real place and that God understands that. He's okay with us crying out to him. There's lots of scripture where people cry out to God in pain. <laughs> Why have you forsaken me? Jesus famously said that. The feeling of being alone doesn't mean that we're alone. Many times it's God allowing something else to work. Many times it's God allowing one of us to step in and work. But Jesus does care. He feels and he acts. We see it in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so very often we're like, God, why aren't you helping me with my mortgage and my electric bill? He's like, because uh, I'm saving you from your sins and that's more important. I have prioritized, and I've decided that right now, maybe you need to learn to manage your budget better. <laughs> I don't know. I can't step into every situation you're dealing with. But what I do know is that God is dealing with the most fundamental, important things first, and that is our eternal soul. And he says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to connect with you. I feel your pain. I see your brokenness, and I've done something about it. While you were still sinners, before you were even born, I gave my life for you. And that's Jesus' act. He saw our hurt, and he saw our sin, and he wasn't willing to wait around for us to get our act together and come to him. He took the first step. Because the world's full of brokenness, but God has a repair. But what does Jesus do about the hurt? You know, as we're getting ready to move into this new community down the street, um, I know because I've, I've met people, I know some of the people in that area are going through hard times, economic hard times, personal hard times, family hard times. But you don't have to be in that neighborhood to see that. Just go to your own house. <laughs> Go to your neighbor's house. It's everywhere. What does Jesus do about the hurting? I believe Jesus actually does the exact same thing for us that he did for this woman. 
and that this can be actually a good analogy or a metaphor for what he does in us. The first thing I think he does to bring a, a fix is that um, he, he sees us and he cares. And so I'm going to give us two things that Jesus does for us, okay? And I mean, sometimes I feel like we op- oversimplify God's stuff and then I'll step back away from it and go, actually, no, it's, it's actually not very complicated. The first thing that he does is, is uh, actually, I need to back up and read you a passage. Jesus says this in John 16, verse 33. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. So I want to start with that as a foundation. God knows that this world is broken, okay? We're going to have issues. So what are we to do to encounter God's goodness to get through that? The first thing that we can do is we have to find ourselves in Jesus' path. And so this funeral procession was in Jesus' path. He was going along his day. Now, there might have been some agenda he had in his mind. By the way, anytime Jesus does a miracle in the Bible, he didn't raise every single person from the dead who had died. He didn't heal every person with leprosy, every person with a cold or you know, bad vision. He didn't do that for everybody. He did it for a very important reason. He did it to prove his power so that those in, uh, in, in audience could see that because he one day was going to do something incredible, raised from the dead, and he needed to have a good bank of people who said, yeah, I can see him doing that. I can see him raising from the dead. I saw this one thing. I saw this one thing. I saw this one thing. So that was his main purpose in doing the healing. But also in the process, he made his way into the pathway of this funeral. Now here's the reality, the reality about our pain. Every now and then, I know some of you are examples of this because you've told me, that one day you were going along and suddenly, boom, you found yourself in Jesus' path. You, know, you might have started dating a Christian. And you're like, oh my goodness, I'm dating this, this person like, talking about the Bible, going to church all the time, like, oh my goodness. And like through that process, you discovered God's grace and you found yourself walking into the very pathway of Jesus. But other times, and we see this in the stories of Jesus too, some people need to bring their friends into the path of Jesus. I think about a man who was paralyzed and his friends carried him on a mat all the way across town because Jesus was teaching over there because they wanted him to encounter Jesus. So other times, we have to make our way to the path of Jesus. Very often, I'll find someone who started coming to church because they were like, I just needed to get back with God or need to get God in the first place and so whether you just stumble in by dumb luck into the path of Jesus or someone else helped you find that way the the path to healing in our brokenness is to put ourselves in Jesus's path we do this all the time where we say I mean if I could just work more hours and make more money if I could just get a different job if I could just get this thing in my relationship fixed if I if I could just stop drinking when I'm tired and frustrated if I could just turn off the internet instead of going to some pornography website over and over again. If I could just quit yelling at my kids or being a jerk to my spouse. If I, if I, if I, if I, if I. And then we fall flat on our face over and over again. And do you know why? Because you aren't enough. And I am not enough. By my own power, I can have self-control. God's spirit within me allows me to do that. And I can make choices and I can change. But on my own, I'm just not strong enough to take on all the pain of the world. But if I can put myself in Jesus' path, he says, I created the whole place, man. Your problems are small compared to the problems I can solve. Will you trust me? And that's where the journey of walking with Jesus begins. And for some of our brokenness, it may take weeks, months, years to work through. I think God does allow some of us to carry scars and walk with a limp a little bit. Because maybe we just need to remember or maybe just the effects of this world or something we're going to have to shake on the other side of this life. 
But what I know is when we put ourselves in the path of Jesus, or we help other people find the pathway of Jesus, what we've done, and we, this is what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven, we get to carry pockets of heaven with us everywhere that we go. And in those pockets, there is healing. And in those pockets, there is hope. And that's what he does for the woman, and that's what he does for you. And then the next thing that's beautiful is that he takes the woman and he gives her her son. See, God restores us. There's this phrase, uh, there's this whole passage, this is another one of my favorite verses, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus knew what this woman needed. He reunites her with her son, and uh, the rest is history. I don't know what happens to her. The second thing, after we put ourselves in Jesus' path, is to recognize that Jesus brings us life. Jesus brings us life. Are you hurting? Are you struggling? Are you drowning in this world? Do you open up the news app every day and you're like, ugh, this is the bad news app. What I want you to know is that Jesus has the alternative. And I, all pun intended and everything, when I say the alternative to the bad news is the good news. Do you know what we call the message of Jesus? We call it the gospel, which means good news. It's a journey we begin with him that takes us day by day by day by day through the hurt, through the pain, through the brokenness, so that we can find healing, we can find hope, and we can find peace. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. And so when we come to Jesus, we did this last week, we had uh, my buddy, um, Taylor Anthony, man, he's a college student at UNCW. Taylor, last week after church, I don't know if everybody caught that, he came up and said, I, I want to get baptized. I want to give my life to Jesus. So we had a baptism last week. And, and as we were standing next to the pool that I baptized him in, do we have a picture? Yeah, there he is. Um, right before we got in, I said, hey, man, that's your grave. Because we had just talked about it. I said, the cool thing is this. You're about to put your old self down in that water, and it symbolizes a death. Like it says in Romans, we therefore were bad, buried, buried with him through baptism into death. And so very much like this woman who's at a funeral for her son, when we come to Jesus, we say, I'm putting the old me behind me. I'm laying them down. But it doesn't end there. It says that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So when Taylor comes out of that water, he gets to start fresh with him. Was all of Taylor's problems gone immediately? Probably not. You can ask him. But now he's on a journey with the creator of the universe who can help him step by step, day by day, to deal with his brokenness. You know, earlier I read half of what Jesus said in John 16, 33. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but you've got to read the second half. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Above and beyond the pain. I don't know who needs to hear that message this morning. But I'm guessing there's someone in this room who's just hurting. And I'm so glad that you made the time to come hang out with us in this gym today so that you could be reminded or hear for the first time that God loves you. And I don't know what his plan for your pain is. Some of us, I'm convinced some, there's no pain plan for some pain. It's just inflicted on us because people are evil or because we were stupid or what. I don't know. Or because our bodies just sometimes fail. We're not eternal. Our bodies aren't. I don't have an answer for all your pain. But I can bring you the hope of Jesus. And that's a journey you can begin today for the first time if you never have, like Taylor did, 
last week or that you can pick up where you left off today if you just needed a reminder. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, I, I want to give us a challenge this week to take home with us. And um, I really wrestled with what that could mean. And, and I think I want to kind of close with this idea. Uh, I, I, have, uh, I have rented houses. I'm the owner of the house I live in now. I've also been a landlord. I've been on all the sides. And uh, I tell you what's the most fun. Uh, none of it. Uh, <laughs> but the difference is your responsibility changes depending on where you live. One day, if we have a house that's paid off, I imagine if you own your house, you could probably tell me that's the best part when you finally paid it off. Um, when I was a renter uh, and you know, my plumbing was broken, you know I did? Boop, 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 boop. Hey, landlord, <laughs> uh, <laughs> plumbing don't work. Yeah, okay. Boop. Actually, that's not true. I'm like, you want me to fix it? Okay, I'll fix it. But I didn't have to because I was the renter. When I was the landlord and our tenants called us, they'd be like, boop, 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 boop. And I've got a whole different feeling, right? Oh, shoot. Now I've got to call the plumber. It's the difference between being a renter and an owner. And, and I think that some of the mentality of our church family is going to need to shift as we move from here to Darlington. Because in a very real way, yes. The kingdom of God is not about a place, okay? So whether it's this building or we're meeting up at the food line in the parking lot or we got our new place over here, it's not about a place. But we understand that when we take responsibility of a venue, when we own property, your mentality about your responsibility changes. And I think very often broken people walk by this building every day. I know because I, I get to serve on, on one of the advisory boards here at the YMCA. I'm very good friends with the director and a lot of the directors at the Y here. And every single day people come to this place looking for healing in their brokenness. That's not really what they're asking for. Sometimes they're asking for five bucks. Sometimes they want to just use the bathroom. Sometimes they don't know what they're asking for, but they just come by. But guess what? We're only responsible for five hours a week. Our team shows up at 7.30 on Sunday mornings and we leave by noon. A little afternoon. Five hours a week, and we manage that. And every now and then we feel real good about ourselves when someone wanders in off the sidewalk and needs some help, and we get to help them. Guys, in a couple of months, we're not renting anymore. We're going to be full-time in a location. And one of the things that the church has been guilty of for hundreds of years is that they'll have a space that just is a dead, empty space six days a week. We cannot move forward with that mentality. What if we become a place that people can come with their pain and they can be introduced to hope. That's just one piece of the puzzle that we could talk about. I have so many other thoughts. And so here's my challenge for us this week. I want us to take time this week, every day, for you, each one of us, to pray for a heart of compassion. That's the challenge. Every single day, we are selfish. We are entitled. Many of us are in the top 1%. All of us are in the top 1% of rich people in the world, like worldwide poverty and stuff. Many of us in this room are probably like in a top percentage of that even, okay? And so like for us, a bad day is like when you find out that your really expensive car needs a part that you don't feel like taking to the shop and paying someone else to fix it. I mean, that's a really bad day for some of us. The reality is that we need to have a deeper compassion than that with suffering, splagna. I'm curious how many of you have taken the time to go buy our new building. I know a lot of you have gone on other serve, but if you haven't taken the time to go buy the building, even look at the neighborhood we're living in, in this new place, uh, I want to encourage you this week, one time at least, to go drive and sit in the parking lot, the tiny little paved parking lot, and then we own the whole grass lot next to it. Just sit there and park, okay? And I want you to sit and I want you to park so that you can face the sidewalk because people are walking down that sidewalk all day long, every single day. And I want you to find one person, and I want you to pray for a heart of compassion. They might be fine. They might be totally fine. Got home from a good day of work, got a full belly. They're just taking a walk because they're in good shape. But 
do we not still need to have compassion? Because until we begin to try to seek the heart of Jesus in our own lives, we will not be able to live out his mission fully. We're not going to care about the things he cares about. I'm not saying that you don't. I'm not saying that I don't. But what I'm saying is that as we make this move, let's reassert our mission to have a heart of compassion. And then what I want you to do is begin to pray. And so I'm going to kind of prime the pump for prayer. We're going to actually have a lot of season of prayer coming up soon. You're going to hear more about it if you come to the vision night tonight at the roastery. Um, And you're going to hear next week, uh, hopefully from Brent or me uh, talking for Brent Myers. Uh, He's leading a prayer team over this move. And so um, next Sunday, we're actually going to get a prayer guide, a 12-day prayer guide that I hope everybody in our church family will take and will use for 12 days. It's got a little piece of scripture, a little devotional thought, and a little prayer point. And for you to hit on that thing every single day for 12 days. Because as we begin to pray for a heart of compassion, then we can begin to pray for more specific things when it comes to what we as a family can do to make an impact, not just on this neighborhood, but on this city, on the world. Pray, pray, pray. It will culminate on November 4th in a 24-hour prayer marathon that Brent's pulling together. So so very soon you're going to have an opportunity to sign up for like a 10, 15, 20, 30-minute slot. I don't know exactly how it's going to be broken down. 24 hours of prayer. That means some of us are going to be up at 4 a.m., okay? I'm, I'm asking you to sign up for one of those slots, <laughs> you know? And one of the time periods during that 24 hours of prayer on November 4th, we're going to meet at the building over here on Darlington Avenue, and we're going to have a prayer session together, whoever can make it, if you're off work, if you're in town, that in the midst of 24 hours of prayer in all of our houses and our places of business and in our cars everywhere, some of us can gather together and pray intentionally and invite God to create a heart of compassion in us to continue to bring pockets of heaven with us everywhere that we go. Because our God is above and beyond the pain, but we've got to believe it and we've got to embody it so that we don't anymore open the bad news app and be discouraged, but we can wake up with a bright heart every day and go, it's good news, it's good news, it's good news. Jesus loves me. God's got a plan for my life and he can bring healing to my hurt. Let me pray for us this morning.